Well, thanks for uh, leading us in worship, you guys. Appreciate you giving us direction of how we can worship the Lord together as a body of believers. And that's really what our design is. We're made to worship. And um, it's a joy. I tell you, it really is. And not, you might say, well, you don't hear me sing. I understand that. I'm not the best singer in the world. But you know what? God has made you. He's made you as a worshiper. And if you're in Christ, I mean, that was your original design. And if you're in Christ, what he's done is he's remade you. And you've been reborn with a whole new nature that is designed to worship him. One of the things I love to do is to look into holes in the ground. It's just something I really enjoy doing. And that's what those pictures are up there. They are a couple shots of um, myself and, and some little children's feet that are no longer little, um, sitting above a large hole looking down inside. There's something about it that I really like. I've talked to you guys about hiking before, but what we like to do is to, you know, maybe backpack or walk into a, a spot where we can get to a vista where you're, we're out on a cliff and, and you're looking out over, a, over scenery. It's something I really enjoy doing. The picture on the left, by the way, is overlooking my hometown. That's Kaiser, West Virginia, Queens Point. You recognize it? That's sitting on Queens Point, and those are my size 11 uh, Columbia hiking shoes that are sticking out over the edge there. On the upper right hand is, that's me and my two younger children sitting um, somewhere in Arizona, and down below that is the Grand Canyon. Um, One thing you'll never see in one of these pictures You'll see men's size 11, you'll see children of varying sizes, but you'll never see a woman's shoe in one of our pictures with their feet hanging over that edge. <laughs> Somebody putting that together. I, asked, I told Nancy, I said, Nancy, I'm going to make fun of you because you don't like sitting on the edge of the, of the rocks. And she said, do you remember what you said? I said, do you want to say that? I, I think I'm allowed to say it. She said, it's not, I don't get afraid of the edge of the cliff. It's my children out there that makes me nervous. So what we like to do is walk out on the edge and kind of look at mom like, <laughs> and watch her react. I want to talk about living on the edge a little bit today. And it's where you live on the edge most of the hours of your week. God has called us to live on the edge of the world. He's called us as believers to to figure out how to walk along that edge between him and his call to glorify himself by spreading the kingdom and living in this world, in the kingdom of men. And we walk right along the edge. Let me give you this idea from the Gospel of John. I think I have this for the screen for you. This is Jesus now praying for you and for me. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays for believers. He prays for us. He says, I have given them your word. And the world has hated them. Because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. 
Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, Jesus now praying to the Father, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. See, a couple things we need to observe here. There is a difference between you, if you're in Christ, and people who are not in Christ. Jesus calls them the world here. So by the world, Jesus isn't talking about that sphere that you and I live on. That big blue ball that you're standing on right now. That's not what Jesus means by the world. When Jesus says the world, he doesn't mean those evil unbelievers. He doesn't even mean that. What he means is the system of thinking that is opposed to God. And it is what the people of the world, before they come to Christ, it's what their worldview is and what, how, they, how they process life. Jesus is calling here the world. So Jesus is saying, as the Father sent me into the world, well, how did the Father send Jesus into the world? He said, you come as a man, and you be born on the earth, and you grow up like everybody else, and you be God in the world. Jesus is saying, as the Father sent me, I'm sending them, you, me. So listen, God has taken you. If you're in Christ today, God is taking you, and he has launched you into the world to make a difference for him, to be a display of what he is like in the world. There's a difference between you and people of the world. There's a difference. You will recognize that. The more mature you get, the older you get, right, you're going to see it. There's a difference. And that difference is important that difference is what draws people to God. I said it last week. They didn't crucify Jesus because of what he didn't do. They crucified him because of what he did, who he was, what he declared, because of the difference he was making in the world. So I want to talk today about the area of the world, the system, that you spend most of your time, other than your sleeping time, okay? We're not going to talk about your bed and how you sleep, not that. That's actually on the podcast tomorrow, by the way. Shameless plug. Tomorrow, the podcast that comes out through email, if you don't get it, you can go on Facebook and find it. Tomorrow, our topic is sleep and the importance of it. So check it out. It was on radio this morning. I don't know if you heard it or not, but that's an important part of life. But what I want to talk about today is where you spend maybe as much as 40 hours or more of your life, and that's in the area of your work, okay? So open up your Bible to Ephesians. Open up to Ephesians chapter 6 is where we're going to be. Now, I want to remind you, before we go here, before we just put, I'll put this verse up on the screen, um, I want to remind you something else that Jesus said in that same passage in John chapter 16. Jesus said this, I'll tell you the truth. Jesus now, speaking to his disciples, said, I'll tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. And when Jesus was talking about going away, he was talking about his crucifixion, his resurrection, and his ascension. It's to your advantage that I leave you. For if I go away, 
I will, if, I, if I do not go away, that is, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So here's what Jesus is saying. I'm going to give you a helper. You who are in Christ, you who are born again, you who are a new creature, I'm going to give you a helper. And he's not just some little servant boy. He is the God of the universe. And he will indwell you. And he will be a constant presence in your life to allow you to display God in the world that you're in. And so in Ephesians, where you are today, in chapter 6, we've been walking through, the last few months, we've been walking through how this help plays itself out. It's called in Ephesians 5.18, being filled by the Holy Spirit. That means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And it affects our relationships. It affects our worship. It affects our marriage. It affects our parenting relationship, the relationship that children have with their adults, with their parents, that is, and with parents have with their children. And we're going to see today, it's going to affect our work in a major way. You know, work is always a struggle. You like going to work? I've had some interesting jobs in my life. I really have. I've been a, I've been a hamburger flipper. Okay, That was a great job. I loved working the grill at McDonald's. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, a pizza maker and a shorter cook. That was, that was fun work too. I've been a teacher. I've been a preacher. I've been a pastor. Probably the most interesting job I ever had. I worked on a railroad track gang for a summer. And so what we would do is... We would, we would work out on, the, on these railroad tracks and, and the, a cross tie underneath would get loose and we would have to replace that cross tie. And that is tough work, let me tell you. Anybody else ever done that? Anybody? Oh, we got one man. Okay. You know what kind of work that is. You're carrying those heavy cross ties and you lift them up. And here was the cool part about it. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but it's just so cool. Here, here's what these, here's what, here was the tool that you would use. We'd have a 12-pound sledgehammer, okay? That's a pretty heavy hammer. If you ever swung a hammer, that's a pretty good hammer. And it wasn't just a normal hammer like what you might picture, like a claw hammer or like a sledgehammer. No, that's not, that's not the kind that a railroad track gang uses. They use this long hammer that's about this long, the head of it, and it's about this big. So imagine like a, like a bird beak, this, this great big hammer, okay? And the reason for that large strange-shaped hammer is, you'd put a spike down between those rails, and you swing that hammer as hard as you can, and you got to make that little bird's beak go right in between the rails and hit that spike, and hit that spike over and over and over. Now, I did that for one summer. That may have been some of the most physical labor I've ever done in my life. I got to swing the hammer about three times, and the guys were like, Put it away, college kid. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Those guys I worked with, man, they swung that hammer all day, every day, for 20, 30 years. They swing that hammer. You should have seen the forearms on those guys. And it was amazing. They could swing that hammer as hard as you wanted to. And they could put that thing in a little spot like you'd never believe. They never missed Now, I don't know what you do for a living. I don't know what your job is. But I want to talk about the right attitude that we need to have about work. And it it applies to no matter what your vocation is. 
It doesn't matter if you're a, you're a teacher, you're a preacher, you're a, you're a railroad spike driver, you're a stay-at-home mom, you're a doctor, you're an engineer, you're a lawyer, you're a baker, candlestick maker, I don't care. All these things, these truths we want to talk about apply to our life in work. Let me, let me read the passage with you. It's in Ephesians chapter 6, and it starts at verse number 5. And I have it on the screen for you, um, but you can follow along in your Bible. Here's what it says. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man. Knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he received back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven is yours in heaven, that is, and that there is no partiality with him. Now, folks, this is a very relevant passage to your life. But before we can get to the relevance, we have to deal with something from our past. Because in reality, that word bondservant isn't bondservant. The ESV translates it bondservant. But it is not the word Bondservant. The Greek word is doulos, and it has one meaning, and the meaning is slaves. So we have to deal with that before we can talk about what this passage means. See, here's how you interpret the Bible you understand what it meant then. And then we draw from that conclusions about God and apply it to us today. And before we can understand what it means then, we got to deal with the fact that it's talking about slavery. In our racially tense world that we live in, with the history that America has, we have to deal with slavery. Because if we just drive on by that, you will come to some wrong conclusions. So let me talk for a moment, and I'm, I, I, I got it way too much to share with you today, okay? But let me talk for you for a moment about slavery in that day. First of all, about a third of the population, at least, were slaves when this was written. And I just made a mistake I didn't want to make today. I told myself and made a note, I don't want to refer to these people as slaves because that dehumanizes them. These are enslaved people. So one third of the population were enslaved people in the Roman culture. That looks like about 60 million people. At the height, or you might say the low point of American history, in 1860, 12.6% of the population in America were enslaved. That was about, uh, let's see, 3.9 million people in America in 1860. But in Rome, the Roman Empire, when this was written, 60 million 
There were so many enslaved people in the Roman culture that it was actually illegal to let people know that you were an enslaved person. The Romans didn't want other people to know who the enslaved people were. You know why? They were afraid if they figured out their number, they would have a revolt against them like Spartacus and overthrow Rome. Now, in reality, slavery in this day was not like the American system of slavery. First of all, it had nothing to do with race. Did you hear that? It had nothing to do with race. In the American history, it was all driven by race. In the Roman culture, it wasn't. In this Roman world, in reality, slavery was, I know this, enslaved people often allowed themselves to be enslaved because it would better their existence. Your most highly trained and highly educated people in the Roman culture were the enslaved people. Isn't that interesting? And actually, most of the enslaved people were freed men or women by the time they reached 30 years of age. So much so that one emperor wanted to make it illegal for them to become freed because he was afraid that he would revolt against his power to continue to enslave people. So the, the, the picture of slavery that Paul is talking about is not like the American slavery. Now, somebody might ask you this, and this, please hear me. Somebody might say, why does the Bible never say that slavery is wrong? It's a great question, isn't it? And when somebody asks that, they're talking about America. Why does the Bible never say that the American system of slavery was wrong? Folks, it does. It does. Both in the Old Testament and the New. Listen to Exodus chapter 21, verse number 16. Exodus 21, verse number 16. Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found to possession of him, shall be put to death. Hmm. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 10. Paul gives a list of sins that were the reason why Jesus came to the earth. Some of these sins you like to kick around. Sexual sin, homosexuality, pornea, those kind of things. But listen to the full list. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse number 10. The sexually, these are, the, these are the, those that Jesus came to save from sin. The sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, liars, Perjurers, enslavers. The American system of slavery was always wrong. And it was always against God's word. This is not talking about ships of people coming to America, captured against their will, and brought on to do the bidding of their quote-unquote owner. It's not the same. Now you might say, well, why are you so passionate about this? Why does this matter to you so much? Because in our culture today, our God and Savior is taking many hits over this. And we need to understand that Christianity is not a white man's religion. This is for all people. It's never been God's plan 
that one group would come and capture another and use them in any way, shape, or form. It's sin. Worthy of death. Just like racism. If in your heart, if in your heart is any part today that you look at a man or a woman because of the color of their skin, because of the way that they look, because of where they were born, and you have any kind of hatred in your heart, you need to know that's not the heart of a regenerated man. And you need to seek God and allow him to change you. It's not what this is talking about. Careful there. So what is it talking about? You need to know that this was very scary to the Romans. Christianity exploded among the enslaved population. You know that? In the first century, the enslaved people responded to the Christian message like you would never believe. And there was a revival among the enslaved people. Why? Because the poor and the oppressed and the enslaved people understand this world is not the answer. This world is not the answer. Rich people and the people in power are looking for their best life now. But the enslaved people and the oppressed people understood firsthand that it's not about here and now. Let me say this before I go past slavery. You know that people tell me, experts say, that there are more enslaved people today than any time in history? Now that's shocking to me. But that's what I'm told. And particularly this is in the sexual slave arena. I'm told that the capital of that form of slavery in this country is in Houston, Texas. Follow closely in Atlanta, Georgia. There's a population of people who are enslaved to meet people's fleshly needs. Now, if there's a part of your heart that says, man, I want to do something about that. I want to do something about that. I want to direct you to some friends of mine, and that's Scott and Heather Radley right over here. I don't know if they got every answer, but if that's something that's on your heart, talk to them. I know they have a heart for that, and they'd love to talk to you about that. But what are we going to talk about today? Ephesians 6 says, bond servants here, obey your earthly masters. We need to understand that a better picture in our world than the the slave master terminology that maybe your translation uses, a better picture for us, honestly, is employee, employer. That is more in line with what Paul was talking about. This is a relationship where one person does have authority over another. So this would be employee-employer. This would be parent-child. This would be coach-player. This would be teacher-student. This would be ministry-leader-team member. That's what this is talking about. It's one person who's serving under the authority of another. So what I want to talk about today is how, do, how is work done right? No matter what you do, how is work done right? Right. And the first thing I want you to see is that we are centered on Christ. That we work for an audience of one. We work for an audience of one. Verse number five says, Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. 
The first thing I want us to see here is that when we are in this kind of a relationship where we're doing the work of another, that really our audience is one, and it's not our boss. It's not the principal. It's not the parents. It's not, it's not, it's not your boss down the hallway. I love the fact that the Spirit of God has Paul write, Obey your earthly masters. They're your boss only for a little while. Your boss is your boss, but is only your boss for a little while. Just while you're here on earth. That's it. You say, well, that's a long time. Lo, I'm planning to be like 99 years old. Okay. But in light of eternity, that's nothing. We are going to have people in our life who serve over us in authority. It's part of life. Teachers, principals, bosses, coaches, ministry leaders, pastors, parents. And we're called here to obey them because we have an audience of one. Let's keep going. Go for a little bit in my slide there, Jonathan. Sorry, I, I skipped you there, weren't you? So we are obeying earthly masters. Now it says here, with fear and trembling. Now that brings this idea of the whip up in our mind. Like, oh, oh, don't, don't hit me. That's not what this term means. If you don't, you don't believe that, I want to show you that. Go with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Turn back a couple pages. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Look with me at verse number 15. Here, Paul is going to use that same expression, and it helps us understand what Paul means by that. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, it should be familiar. We've talked about the last four weeks. Actually, we did 8 and 9, but it's relative. In chapter 7, verse number 15, Paul here is talking about the apostle's assistant, Titus. And he says in verse number 15, his affection for you is even greater as he remembers the obedience of you all. How you received him with fear and trembling. This expression, fear and trembling, is not, oh, you're going to hit me. It's, it's an expression used in the language of that day that all it means is respect. It means respect. So Paul here is saying back in Ephesians chapter 6 that yes, we have people who are over us, but really we're serving God. And so I'm going to respect this person in my life as put here by God. I forgot my window. Remember my window? I forgot my window. When you're at work, some of you say, what is he talking about? When you're at work, it's Tuesday, 1030, and you're there still doing that thing that you do all the time. Hey, at least you're not swinging a 12-pound sledgehammer, okay? Kapoosh, kapoosh, over and over and over. Who are you doing that for? Who are you serving? You stand in front of your classroom. Who are you teaching? You're on the ball field coaching those kids. Who are you serving? You're in your house taking care of those crying kids and changing more diapers and cleaning more. Who are you serving? We're looking through the window at Christ. You're not serving that jerk down the hallway. You shouldn't say that. My mistake. You're not serving that guy down the hallway who oversees you. No. 
You're not serving those kids who don't say thank you. You're serving Christ. You have an audience of one. And so before him, I will serve with fear and trembling, with great respect. You have me here for a reason, God. You have an opportunity to worship God every single day, 9 to 5 at your job. Or 12 to 12 at your home. Or the 73 shift or 3 to 11, whatever it is, okay? And not just work. Not just work. The other things that you do in life, that you have this opportunity to serve somebody else. Your master is God. Oh, you might have an earthly boss. You might have a guy that signs your paycheck. You might have a guy that comes alongside or a gal that comes alongside and says, don't do that or do do this. But we should have, now this is important. He says, you do this with a sincere heart. Now, sincere does not mean, it doesn't mean, oh, I really want to, I just really want to swing this hammer with all of my heart. Oh, this is such joy. I love doing this job completely with all of my heart. You know, the Steve Jobs statement, find the job that you're passionate about. You never have to go to a work today or life. Yeah. I know one guy in the world that can say that, and that's Steve Jobs, right? And I don't, I mean, come on, that's just non-existence. So what does this mean with sincere heart? Here's what it means. The word sincere doesn't mean you really feel it. It doesn't mean passion. It means one. It means undivided. That's what it means. Undivided. So when I, am, when I am working, I'm serving Christ undivided. So go ahead, jump all over me, Mr. Boss. Go ahead, kids, disrespect me. That's all right. Go ahead, parents, give me a hard time. That's okay. Go ahead, church. Hate me because of my message. That's all right. You don't. But it could, be there, it could be there for me too. Because I don't serve you. And you don't serve them. And you don't serve him. You serve Christ. Undivided. That's what a sincere heart is. Audience of one. And that's not all. We do it as you would Christ. This takes the golden rule to a whole new level. You know the golden rule, do unto others or have them do unto you? No. This is do unto others as you would do unto Christ. What if you were Jesus' teacher? What if you were Jesus' preacher? What if you were Jesus' mother? What if you were Jesus' server? What if you were Jesus' nurse? What would you do? You'd serve with all of your heart, right? Because he is your God. Folks, that's window living. That's seeing through your situation and doing it is unto Christ. Paul goes on a few more things here that we want to mention. One is that it should be wholehearted. This is in verse number six, wholehearted. And here he's going to use some negatives to tell us what it shouldn't be, okay? He says, first of all, it should be not by way of eye service. You know what that means? When the boss is looking, I do it hard, but when he's gone, I don't. 
Another job I worked for a while was the maintenance man at McDonald's. Okay? I didn't do a whole lot of maintaining much of anything, but that's what my job was. Basically, it meant the trash can changer. Okay? But there was this guy named Mike. And Mike, if you're listening, I changed your name to a different name, so it's not you. But Mike was, the, was my trainer of how to be the maintenance man. Okay? And so I was going to be the weekend maintenance man. He did it through the week, and I was the weekend. So he trained me. This is what we did. We walked back into the stock room behind the kitchen in the McDonald's. Picture a huge set of shelves, large boxes of, you know, cups and milkshake stuff and straws and napkins and all that. He's like, okay, come here. And he climbs up on the shelf, and he starts crawling. I'm like, what in the world? He's like, come on. So I'm like, okay. So I climbed up in there. We're now crawling through this maze back through the boxes to the very back. You know what's there? A pillow. A blanket. A box of McDonald cookies. Opened. He's like, here's what you do. Just, go, just set up the hose and go out in the parking lot. You're going straight on those and just come back here and just crawl up on these boxes and just lay here and relax. Hmm. Take a nap while at work, right? See, that's what this is. Not by way of eye service. When the boss is watching, I do it. But I'm doing this for an audience of one. So I'm wholehearted serving Jesus completely. Even when nobody sees. Even when no one is aware. Not as people pleasers. So this isn't, what do you want me to do? Oh, okay, I'll do that. All right. We got a nice word for that that we a lot of time call these people, right? Not as people, ser- people pleasers. But since I have an audience of one, I'm doing it for him. That's what wholehearted means. It means I do it. I'm a man of integrity. I'm a woman of integrity. And I serve God with all of my heart, wholeheartedly, 9 to 5, 40 hours a week. I'm dedicated to Christ. I'm doing it all day, every day, because I'm serving Jesus. Not to please any person, because I don't serve you anyway. But to honor God. This is what God is inviting us to. Galatians 1.10. Hear what it says. This is a passage I had to put to memory as a young pastor. Because let me tell you, the pressure in pastoring to be a people pleaser is immense. It's immense. Because with all, with all love and all, all desire to just be friendly, people come and tell you a lot what they like and don't like. Okay? And I had to, have, I had to learn. And don't let this affect you. But I had to learn how to not hear that. Because in my heart, I wanted to please people because I'm made of flesh and I wanted you to like me. So a pastor friend of mine said, Lowell, you've got to read and memorize Galatians 1.10. Here what it says. Paul writes, For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? It's a great question. 1.10, Galatians. Am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Oh. 
So you mean I can do my job, I can go to work 40, 50, 60 hours a week, and I can think I'm serving Christ, and I'm honoring him, and I'm doing this for an audience of one, and the Lord Jesus can look at me and say, you are not a servant of mine. Yeah. Yes. If I'm doing it to please men. Careful there. Careful. You don't serve man, you serve God. You're Jesus' son. You're his daughter. He is watching you from heaven. Like a parent, like a decent parent, on the sideline watching their kid play the game and just loves watching them. Oh, look at him run. Oh, he fell down. But he's back up again. Watching. That's God, your father. He loves you. He's watching you serve in your world. He's watching you when nobody else is. And you still are crossing the T's and dotting the I's. And everybody else down the hallway, they aren't doing their job, but you do. You do. Because you're not seeking to please man. You don't, you don't worship man. You don't follow man. You follow God. And he's there watching you, proud of who you are. That's what wholehearted serving looks like. Finally, he says also in verse 6, we're bond servants of Christ. I think that's very interesting. That's the second time he's made this point that you you are not a servant of man, you're a servant of Christ. Doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service of the good will as to the Lord and not to man. I just, just quickly, what he's calling us to is surrendered serving as well. Surrendered serving. I'm a bond servant of Christ. That means I'm a slave of Christ. Okay, I'm doing the will of God from the heart. But look at verse number seven. Rendering service with a good will as the Lord, not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord. Whether he's a bond servant or is free. Here's what this means. I'm rendering service to God knowing that he is the one who will repay me. He is the one that will take care of me. He is the one who sees my deeds and will say, well done, good and faithful servant. So let me ask you a question. Why do you go to work? Why do you go to work? Do you go because they pay you? Really? Is that really what kind of person you are? You're open to be bought? So if somebody increases an offer and says, will you do this instead? You jump at it? Danger. Danger. We work and we... We serve, how about that? We work and we serve Christ. And he is the one who will repay us. He is the one who will take care of us. He's the one that we serve. He's the one that will return to us. Now often it's not going to be in dollars and cents. I'm not making that offer. But it's at the end of the day, I know that I can, I can know that my, my one person I'm serving can say to me, You're my child. 
and I'm pleased. Okay, just for sake of time, let me hit verse number nine. Now, it's interesting to me, just, uh, just as kind of a little side point here, Paul shared five, six, seven, eight verses. He shared four verses to slaves, to enslaved people, and one to owners. That's verse number nine, to those who own slaves. Now, why is that? Because, as I already said, Christianity was growing among the enslaved people. But there were people who were the owners of slaves that came to Christ. As a matter of fact, one of the books of your Bible is written to one of them. Philemon. Philemon was a man who owned enslaved people. Imagine how he felt. Can you imagine? Put yourself in Philemon's shoes. Philemon was very likely in Colossae. This letter would have been written in the town of, I'm sorry, read in Colossae. They publicly would read this. Philemon is there. Onesimus, his slave, is maybe right down the road from him. He hears these verses. And I'm telling you, he's shocked. Because now it's going to say, masters, verse number nine, or owners, do the same to them. Folks, that is a shocking statement. That is shocking reciprocity. That the, the masters, the ones who own slaves, are now to treat them the same way that they've been told to treat their work. This is why slavery came to an end in the Roman Empire. This is why. This is why people in England fought against slavery. And ended it. This is why the abolitionists in America ended slavery. Because they came to the realization that there's no difference between me and somebody else who's enslaved. And that's what Paul is saying here to these owners. Stop your threatening. Stop your threatening. Don't try to use this fear to get them to do what you want them to do. Know that he is both their master and yours. There is no partiality with God. So employers, those who are in authority, those who are ruling, is that you? There's no difference between you and those that you are ruling over. There's no difference. I love this expression, no partiality. Literally what it says is that God's eyes don't lift up to them. So with God, he doesn't lift his eyes up to anybody. That's what that expression actually is. God doesn't lift his eyes to any man. I love that. So no matter where you are, employer, employee, student, teacher, child, parent, player, coach, worker, boss, husband, wife, The list goes on. Understand that we're to treat each other as fellow followers of Christ. That in, that in him, we are brothers and sisters. So careful how you treat. I do want to say this, and I was planning on having more time right now. (laughs) I wanted to say a couple things here. Um, Let's see, which should I choose? Not only how you work matters, but who you serve matters to God. Can I, I, I want to say, say a word to 
the body of Centerpoint Bible Church. So if you're visiting with us today, I'm glad you're here. I really am. But now I want to talk to the body for just a minute. Okay, let's talk about our ministries. Let's talk about our ministries. Let's talk about nursery. Let's talk about children. Let's talk about youth. Let's talk about adults. Let's talk about, let's talk about chair setting up and tearing down. Okay? I think for a lot of us, we tell ourselves, when you're going to work nine to five, okay, you tell yourself, here's what people tell themselves. If I were a pastor and I worked for God, why, then it'd be easy to really, really work hard. Okay, I think people have that kind of a thought. I want to challenge you on something. I want you to think about the effort that you put into the opportunities that you do have to quote-unquote serve God. Let's think about the setting up of your chairs. Let's think about the prayer ministry. Let's think about the teaching of our children. Do we do that as unto the Lord? Do we, do we serve our children down that hallway as if they are Christ? I tell you, it bothers me, some, me sometimes to see people who in the secular world, in the vocational world that they're in, they're superstars. I mean, they are the man or the woman at work. You got a problem, you go to them. You got an issue, they can fix it. You got a challenge, they're your woman. But then in their ministry at church, they just phone it in. What's that about? What does that mean? I'm thinking of nobody in particular, I'm even thinking of myself. As I prepare to speak in front of this church, Am I, am I working with all of my guts to be ready for this moment? As you serve the kids down the hallway, are you running in here? Another battery? Are you running here at the last minute and, and see if, you know, oh, what's going on? I don't know. Your hair's a mess. You're all over the place. What's going on? Where's my papers? Is that what's happening? Is that how you handle it at work? What's wrong with us? What's wrong? I will not believe, I will not believe it's because we're not being paid six, seven, eight, nine, ten dollars an hour. I will not believe that. I think the problem is until this moment we never put two and two together. We didn't put two and two together. So I'm doing the math for you right now. It matters how we serve the Lord in every arena of our life. And every single thing you do is important. Whether you're holding the baby for an hour, teaching kids every Sunday morning, or teenagers in this focus hour, or coming here and setting up chairs, or it matters if none of those things are happening at all. It all matters to our audience of one. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your grace that's new every morning. Lord, give us a heart to serve you, to not please man, but to serve you wholeheartedly, undividedly with all of our guts. That's our desire, Lord, because you placed it in us. In your grace, when you made us new creatures, 
You helped us to understand what it means to have Jesus as our master and our Lord. Thank you, O Lamb of God, for that work you've done. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.